0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at NorrisFerryChurch.org. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Merry Christmas. So when you sing with your family at Christmas, does it sound that good? Uh, that's what I thought. Just want to make sure it wasn't just my family. We were riding home last night from Lake Charles. And uh, from a soccer tournament, which is pretty much what we do, right? And we're driving home, and Dana said, let's do Christmas carols. As so I turn on the radio, she's like, no, without music. I'm like, really? And so we all start singing 12 Days of Christmas, and then we all start busting out laughing about day six. We're like, we sound awful. And uh, thank you for the reminder of that, Grangers, of how awful we sound. But... Um, How many of you remember that Christmas that you were getting the big gift, that you were dying for that Christmas to come, and you thought that Christmas would never come, but somehow you knew you were supposed to get a certain present at Christmas, and it was a doozy. It was one that made Christmas take forever to finally show up. You remember that Christmas? Maybe maybe you remember it very clearly like I do. I remember, for me, it was the Christmas that I was going to get my first car, and the way that went down for me was I had to wait a long, long time for my first car because my parents said, you don't get a car until you've completed one year of college and shown that you're going to make the grades. And so in high school, all the other kids were getting their little pretty little cars, and here I was bumming a ride and riding with them. And so every time I got in the car, it was just a reminder of how long it's taking for me to get mine. And finally, I went to my first year, and after my first year, I made the grades, I proved myself. The summer goes by, no car. And so guess what? I'm riding with my parents to college my sophomore year. And so I'm heading off to college, and nah, I probably rode with Dana because she, was, she had the car. She was from the other side of town, and she had a car early. And so, um, so I rode with her to college. And um, so I, 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 all summer went by, no car before my sophomore year in college. The fall quarter goes by, no car before my sophomore year in college was halfway over. And so then Christmas, I'm like, surely this is it. The new car is going to come, and it better be good because it's been a long wait. And so Christmas morning, I open up the package, and sure enough, the little car keys are in there, and I go bolting outside to see her in all her glory, and it was a 1988 Oldsmobile called the Gray Ghost, (laughs) and it was a piece of work. I mean, this car, I eventually needed to get internal windshield wipers because when it rained, I got a foot of water in the floorboards. I never knew where the water came from, but it sat on the floorboards. And in the hot summer days, it would just cook and it evaporate. It had a greenhouse effect. The, the botany lab wanted to study what went on inside my car. And so it was a piece of work. It was the gray ghost, but you know what? It was my car. And I was very happy to have it. And even though it did stall out in the middle of the intersection all the time. But it was great. I finally got the long-awaited promised gift. Today we see our classic Christmas passage. I don't know where you go when you think of the Christmas story. But we're going to go to the classic Christmas story in Genesis 15. None of y'all thought that, right? Right. Everything goes back to Genesis for me. And so we're going to, I'm just kidding, we're going to have Matthew a little bit, but we're going to see Matthew leads us back to where we've been studying in Genesis. So open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to see the untold Christmas story, the part of the story that I hope that when you leave here today, you will begin to include in your family fireside chats as you read the Christmas story. I want you to cuddle up next to the fire in your pajamas with your kids and start in Genesis 1 and read this long 50-person genealogy. And then they'll all be gone playing on high on sugar by the time you're done. But Matthew 1.1, 1, 1, Matthew starts with this phrase. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, this is the Christmas story. But he starts with a genealogy. He says, here's the birth line of Jesus Christ the son of David the son of Abraham and so you and I we've been on our journey studying the book of Genesis and we've been right there studying about Abraham and the promise God gave him to have a child and now Abraham and Sarah were like 80 and 90 years old and by the time that, actually, it was 89 and 99 years old. By the time they had a kid, it was 90 and 100. And even when they were well within normal child bearing age, they were barren and not able to have children. And so this was a massive promise that God came to Abram and said, You are going to have a child. In fact, he is going to be the savior of the world. So this sounds impossible. How can a barren man and woman, well beyond childbearing years, have a child and in fact numerous children, as many as the the stars in the sky, and that one of those children's children's children will be the savior of the world? And so this promise is in serious Doubt, But as we get to Matthew, we see the first Christmas story. We see God delivers on his promise because we're told he is very careful to point out the birth of Jesus is the birth of the son of Abraham. And so what Matthew is doing is saying, hey, this is no ordinary child. This is the son promised to Abram over 2,000 years before. This is the greatest gift, the longest most difficult wait in the history of humanity for the greatest gift of all time, the arrival of the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God, and his name is Jesus. And look down, if you skip all the genealogy, in verse 16, Jacob, the father of Joseph, so we're working through the genealogy, Jacob, the father of Joseph, who's the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So, Matthew is connecting the dots for us. The Christmas arrival, the arrival of the promised Jesus, the promised Son, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King. He is the Son of David. He is the Son of Abraham. And he spans the whole quick history of the Bible from Abram on. And he says in verse 17... He does a history of the Old Testament. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David to Babylon was 14 generations. And from Babylon to Messiah was 14 generations. He's saying this has been a long time of coming. God promised Abraham thousands and thousands of years ago that his son would be born. And he would be the redeemer and the restorer of God's people and God's planet. And he's saying, it's been a long wait, but he's finally here. And so Matthew records what we now get to, which is where we usually pick up in verse 18, the traditional part of the Christmas story. But let me encourage you to do something this year. Tell them the untold story. You may not read all the genealogy to them. You may if they're old enough. But just tell them that the Christmas story starts In Matthew 1.1, which points us back to the Christmas story, starts in Genesis. I told you everything goes back to Genesis. And so build the rest of the story because there's this great suspense. It's this great longing, this great waiting for the Messiah to come. The word Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed. The word Christ is the Greek word for anointed one. The anointed king, the long-awaited promised Messiah, the son of Abram, has come And his name is Jesus. That's what the Advent candles have been about. That's why the McDonald's read the Advent. We've been longing for the arrival. And At the end of the service, I'll light the the center candle saying, Christ has finally come. And so the birth of Christ is, is recorded in Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child "...who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, hence the Son of God. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." Why? "...for he will save his people from their sins." This is that a long-awaited Redeemer, Savior promised Abraham. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Now, Matthew quotes the prophets... Behold, they said, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. You see how Matthew is taking the Old Testament and showing how Christ fulfills it. Verse 24, And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi came from the east, arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So Matthew is very careful in his record of the Christmas story to give you the back story, to show you just who Jesus is. I encourage you this Christmas, read all gospel accounts of the story and look at all those titles and references that you normally just kind of breeze by. Why is he called Son of David? Why is he called Son of Abraham? Why is it mentioned all these places from which and it all? It's tying it back. He is the fulfillment of the longing of all the Old Testament scriptures. So parents, in your guide this week, we have one we haven't printed out here or in the email we send out this week at Norris Ferry, we have a fill in the blank. Here's the real meaning of Christmas. Let's make sure we're teaching the full story to our children. Christmas is about the birth of the long-awaited child promised to Abraham who would be the redeemer and restorer of God's people and God's planet. That's what we've said the Bible is about. It's the mission of God redeeming his people and his planet. And he does it through the promised son of Abraham. And so Christmas is the arrival of the promised son of Abraham who would be the redeemer and restorer of God's people and God's planet. Now, how do you think Abraham felt? Abraham was promised the impossible. You're going to have a child who will be the redeemer of the world, and you will have numerous children, as numerous as the stars in the sky. He had to have doubts. He had to struggle. And that's what we see when we go back to where we were in Genesis. We're in Genesis chapter 15. And what we see in Genesis chapter 15, 1, if you'll turn to Genesis 15, 1, you'll see Abraham is struggling. This is where we find Abraham. He's struggling. It says in verse 1, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear. It's a very similar passage to when the angels appeared to Mary or to Elizabeth and said, You're going to have a child who will be the one who prepares the way for the Lord said do not fear. So the Lord is coming to Abram and saying don't be afraid. But why is he afraid? Why would Abraham need to hear those words, don't fear, do not be afraid? What is Abraham afraid of? If you think about what just happened in chapter 14, this about 4 weeks ago we studied it. Remember, he had just gone and rescued Lot and defeated all these kings, these warriors, and he came back and he gives a tithe to the priest Melchizedek saying, God, the creator of the universe, gave me victory. Why would that man who knows God's fighting for him be afraid? Well, how do we know what's going on in our hearts? What does the Bible teach you that to know what's going on in your heart? It says that out of the mouth overflows the heart, right? Right? Well, let's see what's flowing out of Abram's mouth, and that'll tell us what's going on in his heart. What is he afraid of? And it says in verse 2, Genesis 15, 2, Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And verse 3, Abram says, since you have given me no offspring... One born in my house is going to be my heir, not one of my family members. And in verse 8, he says, Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? How, Lord? What are you doing, Lord? Where are you, Lord? I thought you promised, Lord. I'm struggling here, Lord. See, Abram, he's the hero of our faith because he was a man of faith. But Abram struggled just like we struggle." And see, the the plot twist in the story, the Christmas story, is when Jesus came as the Messiah born in a manger, he didn't come the way everyone expected him to come, because they weren't carefully reading the Hebrew scriptures, which said he would come as a suffering servant. They thought, since he's going to be the son of David, he's going to be a conquering king. But he came first as a suffering servant, who died on the cross to give his life as ransom for sin. And he ascended to heaven. And so we are still waiting for the final restoration. And so like Abraham we find ourselves still waiting and longing and looking forward to God to deliver on His promise, His promise to restore all things. And so we still live in a planet that is filled with brokenness and sin and pain and grief and sorrow and heartache and aching and longing. And so maybe we are like Abram, and it's christmas season and underneath the 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 glow of the lights and the gifts and the wrapping paper there's heartache and there's struggle wondering lord how i thought you were going to restore things and all christmas is doing is pushing in your face the brokenness maybe you're inviting and planning who's coming to christmas dinner and there's a painful, empty seat because of brokenness. Or maybe when you're making out your Christmas cards and there's that one that's, that's addressed and stamped, but you don't mail it because there's been 20 years since you've spoken. Or maybe it's that sense of you, you've done Christmas and you know how it ends. When the last present is open, there's just still that lack of satisfaction. It never measures up to what we want because it's brokenness. And so like Abraham, we have our faith in the one who came, the son of Abraham, the Messiah. But we know we live with brokenness and perhaps we all need that encouragement this morning, the encouragement that we're going to see The Lord give Abraham. Lord, I pray that you will encourage our hearts this morning the way you encourage Abraham in this text, that you will keep your promise that restoration is coming, and we can celebrate today our Redeemer. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. There's two encouragements that we're going to find in this passage. The first is the person of God. Knowing who God is and, and getting to know his faithfulness, <clears throat> his mercy, and his grace should encourage our hearts. And we see beginning again in verse 15, or chapter 15, verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now, I don't want to skip over that. Think about what this is saying. Who is the Lord? The word of the Lord came to Abram. Who is the Lord? Capital L-O-R-D. Yahweh. Who is that? You've been getting to know him in your study of Genesis. What does Genesis 1 tell you about who he is? Who is he? He's the creator of the universe. He's the one who spoke humanity into existence. He's the one that has all the power at his disposal. The one who has every right to be far removed and transcendent and tell his people, flick them away because they sinned against him. And what do we see him doing? He is intimately concerned about Abram's struggle. He comes to Abram because he knows he's having a difficult day. And he says, how are you doing, Abraham? That's the kind of God we serve. That's the kind of God we worship. He is the transcendent one, creator of the universe, yet he is personal and imminent and knows the pain in your heart at Christmas and knows the brokenness that you want repaired and knows the longing in your heart for restoration and redemption. And he comes to you. He leans in. He gets intimate to minister to our pain. And what does he say to him? He says, do not fear, Abram. I am. I am a shield to your reward. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. That's written in poetic Hebrew poetry. And there's Wonderful symbolism. But the point is what he's basically saying is do not fear the failure of my promised reward. The promised reward of a of a Christmas child, a redeemer, a savior, one who will restore and fix all the brokenness and all your pain and all your struggles and who will restore what was lost, the paradise we see in the garden before sin entered the world. Do not fear. I will bring about restoration and redemption. I am the shield going before you. I will make sure it happens. I will keep my promises. I will minister to you. You can count on. On me, God says, I am your great reward. I am your shield. I'll make sure it comes about. And so the first encouragement we see in this text is just the very person of God, who he is. He is good. He is gracious. He is kind. He is merciful. And he's the all-powerful one. And so you have a God who is not only Willing to minister to redeem and restore. But he is able to redeem and restore. We should cry this Christmas with the psalmist 18.2. When we hurt, when we long for something more. When we, when we hurt over that broken relationship. We should take refuge in the person of God, Jesus Christ. Listen to the psalmist. My God. My rock in whom I take refuge. This is your prayer at Christmas when you are struggling. My shield. Jesus, you're the horn of my salvation. Jesus, you are my stronghold. Let that be your encouragement. Don't put your hopes of... Don't don't think that that anything that you can experience in this world is going to satisfy and fix the brokenness. No present can do that. No holiday activity, no relationship that you're longing for. All those are gifts. They're not going to solve the problem. Only Jesus can. And he promises there's a final restoration that is coming, and you can count on it. In Ephesians 6, Paul tells us, take up the shield of faith. With which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Whatever is coming at you this Christmas. The shield of faith is Christ. He is the shield. It's not a shield of works. It's not a shield of positive thinking. It's a shield of faith. And that's shield of confidence in Christ. That he is the one who will be your redeemer and restore you. So we're encouraged by the person of God, who he is, his faithfulness, his characteristics. But we also see in this text we're encouraged by the promises of God. Look at verse 4 in Genesis 15, 4. It says, Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir. Abraham's like, I don't have a child. This is going to be the heir. He's going to be a, a servant in my home. And, and the Lord comes to him and says, The word of the Lord comes to him and says, Behold, this man will not be your heir. One who will come forth from your own body he shall be your heir it's not new information this is not new revelation this is just god saying what he has already said again i told you so you will have an heir The promises of God minister to our heart over and over. The Word of God reminds us of the promises of God, reminds us of the person of God, who He is, what He's done, how He is faithful, how He will not go against Himself, how He will always do what He says. You don't have to look for some new revelation. You just need a constant reminder that God is faithful and God will keep His promises. And when you're hurting, he comes to you, he leans in and he says, I promise you, restoration is full in Jesus Christ. And then what, he, what does he do in verse 5? He takes Abram outside and says, now look up at the stars. Why does he do this? Look up at the stars. He's not just saying, boy, what a pretty night. He's taking his eyes off of himself and his barrenness and he's lifting his eyes up and saying look at the stars and he's saying who made those stars who spoke those stars into existence in 14 you just told the priest Melchizedek that the creator of the stars gets all glory for the victory in that battle now come outside and look at those stars again He's reminding him of himself. God is saying, look at me, look at my power, look at my strength, look at my faithfulness. I am the one who spoke those stars into existence and then having reminded him of this, look to the heavens, count the stars. If you are able to count them, which you're not because you are futile, you are finite, but I am God and he says... And he says to him, count those stars, so shall your descendants be. Take it to the bank, is what he's saying. Why? Not because you, Abraham. Because if it was up to you, you're right. You'd have every reason to worry, but it's up to me, God says. I made my promise, I will keep it. The Lord encourages him, the Lord strengthens him, the Lord emboldens him by saying don't look at your own limitations, don't look at your own brokenness, don't look at what's going on around you, lift your eyes up, get back into the word of God, remember my promises, remember my faithfulness once again, let Christmas be for you the same reminder that God loves you. God delivered on his promise 2,000 years ago, which came 2,000 years after his promise to Abram. Though you wait and though you long and though your heart still aches and though you still experience brokenness, Jesus is coming again. We need that reminder. Psalm 147.4, he counts the numbers of the stars he gives names to all of them. That's crazy. God names the stars, every one of them. Isaiah 40:26 Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created the stars. Let Christmas be that lifting up of your eyes and look at the stars and remember who created those stars. See that he created the stars, Isaiah says, the one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. And because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one star is missing. That's the imminence of God. Not one heartache goes unnoticed. So shall your descendants be. Your redemption, your restoration is coming. And let Christmas be the deposit that guarantees that day. So what effect did this have on Abram? How did Abram respond? Genesis 15, 6. What does it say in Genesis 15, 6? Abram believed the Lord and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. That's that's the glorious gospel promise. Abram believed God would redeem and restore through the son of his own, the line of Abraham, and God said, I give you right standing with God. That's the gospel. You were made right with God as a gift. It's It's like the best gift card you ever got. You didn't buy it. You didn't earn it. You didn't pay for it. You just got the card, they gave it to you, and you swipe it, and it's been paid for. It's all already been accredited to your account. You get credit for Jesus' perfections. You get credit for that. You say, well, you don't know what I did last weekend. you get credit for Jesus' perfections. I don't care if you are barren of spiritual righteousness. That's not in the formula. You get credit for Jesus' righteousness. And upon realizing that, you then say, I don't want to live like that anymore. I don't want to be. That's not who I am. That behavior is not who I am as one who has been declared righteous as a gift from God. So Abram believed and it was credited to him as righteousness Paul the Apostle Paul in Romans 4.21 looks back on that text and talks about it for us and he says Abram when it, when it says he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness the Apostle Paul says Abram was fully convinced this is Romans 4.21 Abram was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised where is the work God's doing the work. What's Abram doing? Saying, I can't work. But God is able to do what he promised. Abram's simply convinced that God is faithful to keep his promise to redeem and restore through the child of Abraham. Verse 22, Paul says, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. And then he explains, talking to us, he says, but those words, it was counted to him as righteousness, were not written just for him but also for us. It'll be counted to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So Paul explains the full meaning of Christmas, the full story of, is that what we see about Abram, that God promised Abram a child who would redeem the world from sin and destruction and restore the paradise that was lost because of sin. It was credited to Abram as righteousness, right standing with God so that he has restoration. And then Paul says, and the true is same for us as well. If we are fully convinced that God is able to keep his promise to redeem and restore through the son of Abram, then we are credited with Jesus' righteousness. And that means we participate in the final restoration that God says is coming. But we have to wait. We have to wait in faith. Did you know it says in Hebrews eleven three that Abram died waiting in faith for that day to come? And that should be said of us as well. A lot of symbolisms going on in our service today. I want to explain what it is. The Advent candle, in just a minute I'm going to light the candle. And as I light the center candle, it is a symbol, it is a picture, it is a reminder, it should encourage our faith that the Christ has come. The Advent leading up has been a longing for the arrival of the promised son of Abraham. And on Christmas Day, he came the first time and for us He's a reminder of the fact that he is gonna come again and he's gonna finish the process. Final restoration, final healing of all that's broken. And then we have the Lord's Supper. The Lord, as before he ascended in heaven, went to the cross and ascended, he said, Listen, he was at the dinner table, they had bread, they had wine, and he was talking to them, and he said, Listen, every time you eat of this, remember me. Remember my body that was shed on the cross for you, for your sins. And as you partake of the fruit of the vine, remember my blood that was shed so that you could have right standing with God. And so if you're not a member here, it's okay to come and partake of the Lord's Supper, but only those who are trusting like Abraham, only in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Because that's what this act is. It's symbolic of our faith that God is able to do what he promised, to save us by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So as I prepare the table, I'm going to invite the men to come and invite you to go into a spirit of prayer and just ask God to search your heart. Any sin that you have, unconfessed, confess it to God. Say, God, I put that on the cross, the blood and body of Jesus Christ, and I'm trusting you forgive me because of that and that alone. And then in a moment, we'll invite you to come, and we'll come. And there's four stations for us. And just come to the one that's most convenient. You can come by rows. You can come by families. If, if you've got someone back there that needs to just, just do whatever it takes, get together, and just have a great time of, of remembering the Lord's Supper. Father God, as we enter into a spirit of prayer, as we prepare the tables, Lord, we pray that you will examine our hearts and that we do not take of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, that as we come to the table, it is only by faith in the body and blood of Jesus Christ that we proclaim we are made right with God. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church, located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.